Welcome to the Everything Music Ed podcast. I'm your host, Tom Borning. In this podcast, you'll hear from teachers, musicians, and others about their experiences in learning and teaching music. Today we talk with Carrie Cutler. She's been a music teacher for 27 years. We talk about her late start to learning an instrument and her fortunate circumstances in getting it. We also discuss her being a black American and playing the cello. And we also talk about her unique ability to connect with her students for seven years. We also talk about a lot of other things. I hope you enjoy Carrie Cutler. Did you guys get like crazy rain yesterday or what? Yes, I, I was in Yarmouth. I was at school when it happened and I drove through three pretty scary puddles. Um, but I got home in one piece. Oof. I was just like laying down towels for like, I didn't get a ton of water in my basement, but there was like enough coming in where it's like, I just lay down some towels so that it's not too nasty. Mm-hmm. We were all right. So, I don't know. How's the rest of your summer going? Um, it's it's slipping away. It's slowly dwindling. So, um, this is uh, the the August uh, sadness is creeping on me. I kind of I try to keep it away by um, going in every week. I come in once or twice a week um, to work with students, my honor students. Uh, I help them with their solos. So it kind of keeps me it keeps me um, mindful of what's coming. And I feel like I don't miss as much. We um, we have a new superintendent this year, so and we have had some administration changes. So there's always oh, that yeah. um, a little stress when someone new is is coming in. I'm sure everybody's great, but you know I um, I just kind of want to know what's happening throughout the summer. I I don't just completely check out in the summer. Sure, oh, that's good. You're so responsible. Well, Alex Pendleton's there too. The the high school band director is there too, so that helps. I, I I wouldn't be the only one in there all the time, and I actually chose to be there on days when he was there, so we could um you know uh, coordinate things. I can ask him questions about like purchase orders and and just catch up on things. So it's um I, I do it for my yeah. mental health too, <laughs> um, but it's yeah. it's nice uh, that uh, I get to see a colleague when I'm there. So I'm here with Carrie Cutler. Carrie Cutler. How long have you been teaching, Carrie? 27 years total, 24 years at Dennis Yarmouth. Wow. Wow. So where did you start? Where were you previously to Dennis Yarmouth? I started in my hometown, Virginia Beach, Virginia. Wow. That's incredible. So tell me a little bit about your early music education when you started music and all that stuff okay um i started playing cello when i was 12 i was in seventh grade which is very late um string players as you know can start super early but in our district in our um virginia beach is a big city it's a big uh, big suburb um in our city they started the string program in my school um when i was in seventh grade and my school was an intermediate school. They had sixth and seventh graders together. And even though they were targeting sixth graders, they allowed seventh graders to start. And I was one of those three seventh graders 
Um, so that's when I officially started playing an instrument, but I, I always wanted to do music. I'd sing in the school choruses. Um, I was you know, selected for all city chorus. I uh, sang in the church choir, things like that. Um, and always wanted to play an instrument. In fifth grade, I'm, I'm pretty sure I asked my parents if I could play in band, and they said no. We uh, we just it it was you had to pay, and that wasn't um, an option for for us. I'm the fourth of five children, so it wasn't an option. And the other three kids weren't allowed to. So why would I be able to? And uh, when we got to seventh grade, and they offered strings for the first time in our in our entire city, um, they offered instruments for free if you wanted to play viola, cello, or bass. And uh, I actually didn't choose cello. I chose viola because I knew it was smaller, and I, I tried to talk my parents into it. And I, I'm trying to remember, it was f forever ago. Um, but I don't think I was really forthcoming. I don't think I was uh, really clear with them what I was doing with signing up. I don't think I got signatures, maybe, from my parents to sign up. Um, so I, I, I feel like, if I remember, I just kind of said I was going to play viola, and... Um, the teacher met me, and because I was older and they only had full-size cellos, she said, well, would you mind playing cello? And um, I said, uh, sure. And I didn't go to classes because somehow my parents found out, and my mom said, no, I don't think you should do this. It was foreign territory. I'm, I'm the first musician in my family. And uh, the teacher called because, you know, she was really cool. Um, and... My father said, I'll just let her do it, and uh, somehow I got to I got to play cello, and uh, one of the big uh, draws was that it was free, and uh, free lessons, and... Wow. Yeah, so that's, that's, why, that's how I became a cellist. Um, think about that. I mean, think about, if you think about moments in your life that change your life, imagine if they had not started, if they started the program one year later... Like, or if they had started it a few years earlier, but they didn't offer the free instruments mm -hmm. or like, man, that's so, like, can you imagine that? Like, I always think about like how I almost quit the trumpet in like fifth grade, you know, because like, because if I did, like my life would be completely different, you know, and like, imagine how your life would be different. Wow, that's incredible. Mm -hmm. So so you went through so you went through um you know middle school junior high whatever and high school and played in string orchestra and everything um, or orchestra or whatever well, because it was the beginning of a program i remember i was a, i was kind of a year ahead of or older than the other kids so i was able to participate with other kids as a 7th 8th and ninth grader um we had something called junior high school um i don't know if you guys had that sort of thing here um and high school uh, junior high school went through ninth grade um and uh that was the last year that i was able to um to play with everybody because when i moved to the high school in 10th grade um they didn't have, I was the only person that played an instrument and I didn't have credits. I didn't have enough room in my schedule for it. So I didn't play my 10th grade year. However, um, there is, uh, again, I'm from a, a really large um, area. We call it the um, Hampton Roads is what it's called now. I've been gone so long. I have, I have to kind of remember what things are called. Um, it's the South side of, uh, of the of Southeastern Virginia, uh, South side of um, the Chesapeake Bay. Um, 
they have something called the Governor's Magnet School for the Arts. Now it's just called the Governor's School for the Arts, but back then it had magnet in the name. And uh, if you went to the Governor's Magnet School, you could take lessons with professional teach with professionals, um, folks that played in the symphony, or um, or just were professional musicians around town um, at the two universities. Uh, the Norfolk State University and uh, Old Dominion University. So as a 10th grader, one of my friends who had started playing uh, strings with me in 7th grade, another girl my age, wanted, she had already transitioned to singing, that's her passion, and uh, she wanted to audition for the governor's school. And um, she talked me into auditioning, and I didn't have a cello, because remember I'd been borrowing a cello, and I'd only taken a handful of lessons um, privately. Um, but I talked my mother into renting an instrument for me, so even though I couldn't really tune very well, I um, some I took a couple of lessons and I dusted off a solo that I'd studied with my cello teacher that I'd maybe had like six or seven lessons with, um, because again, a major that was a major expense. I borrowed the cello but was able to take a few lessons. Um, so I auditioned for governor school and. It was, again, the beginning of the governor's school. Um, I was going into 11th grade. It was the third year of the school, and um, I was accepted. And so I spent 11th and 12th grade playing with the governor's school. So we started with, uh, I don't know what how small the ensemble was that they started with, but by the time I got there, I'd say it was um, between 15 and 20 players and was growing every year. Um, and we uh, spent Monday... Wednesday, Friday at Old Dominion University, and Tuesday, Thursday at Norfolk State. And we took things like music literature, ear training, music theory. Um, I played in the Old Dominion University Orchestra. Um, I forgot what days of the week that was. Uh, what else did I take? We had orchestra. Wow, so you, it was like, so it was like, even Free though college. you sort of had a, you started late or whatever, you just went. It was like gung ho. Now you're playing five days a week, and you're also taking theory and all that stuff. That's pretty incredible. Yes, and I still stayed at my other high school, so I went to uh, a regular high school, Bayside High School, for uh, five classes. And then the bus would come and drive us to Norfolk, which is where those two universities are. Um, so it was about an hour drive after we picked up everybody. There are 90 kids in the music program. There are 300 students all together at this big fine arts school. They had a uh, music, uh, a theater class, dance class, visual arts, and uh, musical theater too. So uh, I, I was part of this, uh, the beginning of, of this really cool movement. Nowadays, I don't know if I would have gotten in, um, but because I was at the beginning, that always gave me the opportunity to, uh, to kind of make my way into things. <laughs> wow, that, I, I am amazed by that. That's incredible. Wow. So when did you re so when did when you went to college you did you already know you wanted to major in music or do, how did that work when did you realize oh you know what i want to be major in music and or be a music teacher i think i knew it in 8th grade i um because i was in a junior high school setting and um in my city the ki we'd have lessons every single day orchestra was a class like math class so i'd go to orchestra every single day and the more I played, I just said, you know what? I think this is my thing. This is my thing. So um, I would read a lot. I would go to the library and I'd read about composers and I'd practice a lot. And maybe that was the beginning of my mom um, getting me lessons. Uh, I think I just had, again, a handful of lessons in eighth and ninth grade. I auditioned for um, what we called junior uh, 
junior regionals. We didn't have, did, we didn't call it district. <laughs> so, um, and all city orchestra. So I did, I did those things. Um, but as an eighth grader, I just said, you know what? I think this is, I think this is good for me because I already understood how violin was played. I could already read the clef. Um, and b because back then my teacher gave us all of our music on the same page because it was handwritten. That's how old I am. Um, so, uh, the violin, viola, and cello, and the bass music are the same, but, um, I'd see all three different clefs on one page, so I learned how to read them, and so I, I knew what was going on, and plus, we were all in the same class all the time, so I knew how to do what the violinists were doing, what the violists were doing, and I just thought, I think I can do this. So it was kind of something that I, um, I, I was really young, so I didn't know how to m make that happen, but I always kind of thought that that was my, that was my thing. Um, and then I had that weird year where I stopped and just kind of practiced at home, didn't have a group, didn't have um, any really strong direction. And then uh, getting back into 11th grade, I think I'd kind of forgotten the, the teaching love. I didn't really know what I was going to do. Um, for college, uh, I was really good in math. I almost became a math teacher. Um, Ooh, we're very similar in that respect. I, yes. <laughs> I was in, I was in high school and it was basically, I, somehow I knew when I was a junior, I was like, I'm going to be a teacher. And it was like, am I going to teach math or am I going to teach music? And then I took pre-calculus and I was like, music it is. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's. It took me a while to figure out that it wasn't math for me. I, I there was I just didn't want to waste it because I felt like I re I was uh, fortunate enough to really understand it. Um, but uh, math, college math, it, that's that's when I had to. I was already a music major um, and trying to to explore the math thing and the the two you you can't do that. I couldn't do that. <laughs> it didn't work out for me. So. Uh, I've left yeah. math behind. I, I, I know how to calculate the discounts on things when I go to the store. I, <laughs> I know how to write, write checks for things or how to pay my bills. And so but pr pretty much math is, has kind of fallen away for me. But um, music, it, all in. I, I was all in on music for sure my sophomore year. My, my wife did the double major of music and English. I, I oh can't even gosh. imagine. I can't, I, I can't even I, imagine. I, I don't know how. I don't know how she did that. Crazy. And she graduated, she almost graduated on time. The only thing she had to do that took m more time was she had to take Spanish classes. Of all things, to get her English degree, she had to take Spanish classes over the summer. So she did like an intensive Spanish over the summer after she graduated or something. It was so weird, but... Um, so anyway, so how did you end up coming to Cape Cod from Virginia? Well, um, I was born in New England, and I had always wanted to come back. So I figured uh, in my uh, I, I just immaturity, <laughs> in my mid-20s, I said, you know what, I'm going to go to New England. And I, I, had, I guess I kind of knew Boston, Providence could possibly be it. Um, I'm a member, or at the time I was a member of American String Teachers Association, and I remember calling the um, the New England person who actually served for both states, and I remember telling her, "Hey, you know, I want to teach um, strings um, in in either Massachusetts or Rhode Island." And she told me, "Oh, here people don't have just all string jobs," and that's what I had in Virginia Beach. I taught elementary and 
elementary, middle, and high school, which apparently is kind of rare because not everybody loves high school and not everybody loves middle school. I didn't mind. Um, and uh, I remember thinking, I, I don't want to teach general music and, and chorus and strings. I just want to teach strings. And she said it's going to be really hard to find a job like that. Um, but I got in touch with my college uh, conductor. I went to James Madison, and my college conductor is Dr. Robert McCashin, and um, he fielded calls from people looking for string teachers all the time, and he helped me find a job at Dennis Yarmouth, which was a full string job. So I came up, did the interview, um, and it was only... Uh, I'm trying to think how many... I was taught in five schools. I didn't know that that was possible to do something uh, that um, intense, but I, I, uh, I had a very, very busy schedule. I didn't know, kind of know what I was getting into, but I had always wanted a smaller, to be part of a smaller district. And uh, when I moved here, there were just two string teachers. Um, and that's, it's still, that, still the case. Um, we still have two string teachers. Um, but I go to less schools now. Now I just go to two buildings. Um, but uh, I just wanted something different than, uh, the big, than that big city setting, even though um, I... I really did feel a great um, friendship with all the string teachers in Virginia Beach. I just, I just wanted to, uh, I just wanted to move on from my hometown, and landed here yes. and have stayed. I, I guess I like it. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. I, I would assume you do. <laughs> I hope yeah. you do. You've been there a while now. Um, no, that's wonderful. I, I just, I'm always happy just that there's, you know, you're one of only. I don't know. There's really only a few. Um, I don't even know if I want to say a few. I might even say two, but whatever. We'll just say at least at least two really strong string programs, you know, on the Cape. And uh, there's a couple that are. I don't want to say I don't know, that like small. Like Falmouth doesn't really have a string program, even though we have string players and mm. we offer a string class at the high school. And like junior high strings are like after school only. At least they used to be, and I'm not even sure they're doing that. Oh no, it's during school now. I forgot. Mm -hmm. Steve Edwards does that now, so the, he does have that during the day. And then Andrew Fitech in sixth grade is is fifth and sixth grade is doing it now. But it, it's it's a small small program. It's not like yours, and I'm not sure what Barnesville's doing. But there's only a few. My point is like of all the towns on on the Cape. There's basically Nosset, DY have really good ones and I think run the way they should. And then Falmouth, meh. And then Barnstable, I'm not even sure what's going on uh, there. Barnstable, they have a string program. They um, unfortunately lost a teacher during COVID time. Um, and that kind of hurt things. But now they have a, they have a string, they had last year, um, a, a string teacher who... Um, was in or, or, or someone teaching strings, but maybe not a string specialist. Um, so I, I, I think we're all kind of on our way back. I think, um, the pandemic was on, it, it kind of threw a lot of things off track. What I have seen with students requesting to play again after absences, I've had two or three students come back, to, um, in lots of different grade levels after absences. I still see that kids really want to play. So, um, that, that gives me hope for everybody on Cape Cod that we're all coming back. Um, in our district, one of the keys to our success was just longevity of the teachers. I taught with Norma Kelly for, um, goodness, maybe 18, 19 years. So just her stability and just 
consistency. She was always, always there. And then um, after she left, after she retired, we've had, uh, I want to say, we're on our third string teacher since she's retired. Um, and uh, I, it, it's, it's hard. Um, it, it's been hard, but at least we've had that consistency of us overlapping for all of those many years. And then um, I've been here a long time. I'm still going to be here for a while. So hopefully that keeps things um, keeps keep things stable. And um, everyone that needs music, people you know, contact me about music or um, questions about things sometimes. And I always try to help because at the end of the day, we all want strings to keep going. We want the kids to be successful. We want them to have um, good experiences. So there isn't any sort of rivalry among the different districts. Um, it's a very... I've never experienced that anywhere. I've never experienced a rivalry. But um, there's absolutely not one. Um, no, we're very... I feel like we're very collegial um, with all the districts on the Cape. Yeah. For sure. I, it's great. Um, do you still gig a lot i know we played um we played mary poppins yes uh together this past year but how much do you play and how important do you think it is to as a music teacher still getting out there and playing hmm. well um when i first got here i auditioned for the cape cod symphony because that is the that really is the ultimate performance ensemble especially for a string player and i wasn't accepted it's um it was hard for me. It was really sad, but I was uh, my job was so overwhelming, and I was so new to the area that it was it, it was a it was a good thing that it didn't work out. Um, so I eventually um, would would meet people and play at churches. I have a pretty steady church gig, Christmas and Easter, and the occasional wedding um, here in Centerville. I play at Our Lady of Victory. And mm -hmm. I also have um, just a, the occasional call about a show. Um, we played Mary Poppins, which is great for me. I live in Barnstable, so playing for Barnstable, it usually works out with my schedule, not a problem. Um, but gigs in Falmouth or in Pituit or in Wellfleet, things that I've done in the past, I can't do anymore. I have kids. Um, my, my job is, uh, still demanding enough that I can, I can only handle so much. So I, sure. I, how I, old are your kids? Uh, they're 10 and 13. Wow, boys, right? I think I recall. Oh well, one's but the ten-year-old is a boy, and uh, oh, okay. My my daughter just turned thirteen. Yep. Oh, yeah. okay. Wow, that's incredible. You told me he plays hockey. Yes. Yes, he does, and he's a goalie. He's and it's not wow. just a one-season sport; it's year-round. He's oh, he's I been know. goalieing constantly. Um, he has private lessons on Sundays and. He has uh, like a group class on a Thursday, and then the season starts again in September. Um, when he's not doing that, he's uh, doing karate. He uh, plays piano. He's been uh, taking piano lessons for about a year. Um, my daughter has been playing cello since she was eight, so she's been playing for about five years. She also plays piano, and she wants to start volleyball, So and oh, she does wow. dance. So with all of those things happening... Um, it's hard to take gigs, so I I know I uh, I had a an offer to play a show last fall, and I knew how busy it was going to be with the kids. So 
I, I had to turn it down. But I, every now and then something will come up, and I, if it's just a one-day thing, or if it fits neatly into a certain um, time frame, I can do it. Yeah, when I when I taught high school, especially in the fall during marching band season, I had to turn down so many gigs just because I knew I couldn't do it. And even if I thought I could schedule it in there and be like, "Ooh, I can make this and make it work," I, you know, but then I'm not seeing my family and I'm already away, you know, two, three, four days a week with marching band or whatever. So I. I, I totally hear you on that one. Um, I remember you telling me when we were we were eating at Sam Diego's in between in between gigs on Saturday uh, uh, during uh, Mary Poppins. You said it was it was pretty unique for your son to be playing hockey because everywhere you go, he's the only brown one on the ice. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's that's pretty typical for him. Yeah, um, and. Yes, and yeah. so where my where my question is going here is, I have to imagine, uh, but maybe you can fix me. I I don't know the demographic with, um, where where you grew up, but I have to imagine for st- being a string player, um, and be- being a Black American, then I would assume you were a minority in that sense too, or was that is that not the case? Um, probably um. Very, it's a very dim, different demographic down there. Now, um, the reason why I was born in New England um, is that I, my father was in the military, so um, I'm a Navy brat. Um, and so um, when my father retired in Virginia Beach, he, he settled in a military town that was very um, ethnically diverse. So um, going to school, I always had role models that were every 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 race, you know? Um, and so there was never a sense of you're, you're standing out, you're sticking out. Um, you, you don't match here. Um, but you know, when you go to higher education, when you go to college, you know, you stand out in some ways too, just because it's college. Um, but even still, I never felt alone. I can't, I can't explain it. Um, maybe because, you know, you, you grew up in New England, you grew up in Mass in, in, on Cape Cod, right? Um, I, I just never, I never felt I don't, I don't belong or this isn't my place. I always had, um, peers that looked like me. I always had teachers that looked like me. Um, so moving here, I was fortunate enough to have, um, to, uh, connect with families and, um, and with friends, uh, who, I don't know, I just felt very at home with musicians, and um, I just, I, I still have never felt out of place. If anything, if I feel out of place in um, in the hockey world, I'd say it's more of a, a social difference, um, just because it is a very, um, kind of an, an elite sport. I never grew up knowing anything about hockey. My husband's a hockey player, so hockey is his thing. Um, and he is doing that mostly with my son. I can't even get my son dressed for hockey. Um, so if anything, I feel I stand out because I didn't grow up with the privilege of, of doing certain activities. We just don't have those in the South. Um, but otherwise, but socially, um, most of the time I feel 
like um I sit in without well, I think I out. think you do I, I love talking to you and I, I'm so happy I'm so happy to hear that and it's it was really interesting to hear what you just said how you felt when you were growing up that you had teachers and and peers but then when you went to college it was a little different and the the person I talked to um, recently Damon Grant very similar he grew up in Norwalk Connecticut and he's you know growing up he had lots of peers and teachers but then he went to UMass and it was like two percent yeah. African American. So he's like, "Whoa, this is this is way different," you know. And um, so I'm I'm really happy to to hear that um, for you. And um, so let me ask you this: How do you have in your string groups now when you're teaching? How what's the is it is it diverse or how is that? Absolutely. If anything. Um... I'd say the biggest um, thing is that we have maybe a lot more girls than boys, but uh, very very diverse. And I um, I I love hearing about. I had a student yesterday that I was working with who's from Ecuador, and I just loved chatting with him about where he's going to go, where he wants to go to college, and hearing about his family. And I just encourage. I d- I just want to hear everything about everyone's family and and where they've been where they are where they're going it's um it's oh, one of the best, it's one of the best parts of of my job is um really getting to know the kids um when i taught when i first started at dy i taught fourth through 12th grade plus i had a third grade program left over um or i i kind of continued it um from my previous two teachers the third grade program and so there's the possibility of me teaching the same kids for 10 years. That's what I did for a long time. Um, and now I teach the same kids for up to seven years. And so when you get, when you have students that long, you really get to bond with them. And I'm sure that, um, just by being myself and just by being open and asking questions and learning about, um, everyone's culture or their interests, it, you just you really bond. So I'm I'm very for one reason I don't ever want to give up um, teaching so many grade levels because some folks I, I it's it's hard sometimes balancing things. Um, I don't want to give up the longevity of my friendships with students because sometimes something happens. They're taking a class that coincides with the orchestra. They can't get in, but maybe they want to play after school and then they'll come back the following year. I want to keep up those relationships. I want to be that consistent person that they can still connect with after seven years or and again in the past 10 years. Um, so it, that's one great thing about being a traveling string teacher that, um, you, you get to hold on to those uh, friendships even longer. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it can be, it can also be tough though too. Like if you have a tough student and then you got to have them for seven years, that can sometimes be tough, right? Well, it, I'm not teaching math, so you know they don't. I know. Well, I'm just telling you when I when I when I taught when I taught high school, there were some kids, man. I had them for four years, and I would be like, "Oh my gosh, I'm only on year two with this kid. What is going on?" But uh, you're see, you're nicer than me, I guess. Uh, and uh, no, oh no, um, I'm I'm pretty I'm. I'm pretty tough. I mean, I just try, I just have to be myself and guys, this is, this is who I am. And, um, just, I, what do I, I, I just let the kids know, Hey guys, this is, this is my expectation. It's not, it's not going to change. And, um, 
we're just going to do our best to to do what we can. But yeah, you know, sometimes you have students that um, that stay for different reasons, whether they really want the the credit um, for honors or if their folks have said, "We bought this instrument. You're going to be playing through." through 12th grade, or we really want this to be on your college applications. Um, but eventually, I think we kind of find, we, we find middle ground because I think the older the kids get, the more, and the more mature they become. Um, and also just the less, uh, what's the word, particular I might seem because we've all, we've all kind of gotten used to each other. Does that make sense? Sure. Um, that I'm not, when sixth graders, when they come in, I'm, um, I'm very particular about certain things, so I can kind of get them, uh, what's the word? Just right, once you set the expectation, yes. right, you set the expectation from day one, then they just know that that's how it is, and they know what to expect for the next six years or seven, sure. whatever, seven years, yeah. yeah. But I, but I, yes, we, there are, there are some difficult, um, situations, but uh, we do, we just try to try to get through them, and um, some some kids stay straight through, and and some it's not for them. So, um, but w so far, we we have pretty good enrollment. We are always trying to keep our enrollment um, up. So it it seems to be it seems to be okay. It's it's a oh, good. Do you are you involved in like the instrument demonstrations and everything when they start or? This year I was. Um, this year our teacher is primarily a violinist and is very comfortable in violin and viola. Um, but I did offer for at least two of the times that um, they had three demonstrations. I did offer to have a cellist or to play cello for her. So um, I did hap I did help this year, um, but I haven't I haven't been able I haven't been part of that for a long time. Um, I would like for all the band and string teachers to kind of contribute something to the demonstrations, just because we all have different strengths and weaknesses. Um, and uh, hopefully going forward, we, we keep having some sort of involvement. Um, but in the past, it's kind of been the fourth and fifth grade teacher, um, the, those two folks, the fourth and fifth grade band, and and string director, they are in charge of the recruitment. And um, this year it was just a little different. We got a little bit more involved with um, middle school and high school teachers helping. Um, but it was it was it's a transitional year. We opened a new brand new building this year, and we had a new string teacher. So um, having those um, the, all that newness happening. Um, we were trying to meet deadlines, and we were trying to just kind of um, keep things smooth sailing. Sure. I, I would have to imagine, because again, back to uh, my friend Damon said, you know, the biggest thing that he says uh, uh, um, is representation. So I would think that a young kid seeing, oh, there's I, uh, black people play this instrument. You know, like we had someone come to our um, our entire uh, Falmouth Public School staff and was talking about how there aren't a lot of people of color teaching science. And she basically said the same thing. It's it's uh, and she was a brilliant like doctorate in science. And 
she was just in it. It's representation. She's like, look at these pictures on these college uh, brochures. And it's like this white guy and white girl sitting there in lab coats. She's like, where, where's the representation? So I have to imagine people seeing that, that just, I would think you'd, it would just, it's very good to have all everybody. Oh, anybody can play this instrument. I, I see people that look like me playing this instrument. For sure. Well, in my, when I was growing up, no one ever said, you can't do that. I'm the fourth of five kids. I think I said that before. And um, just connecting with my, my siblings live mostly in the South. And uh, as I talked to my brother, um, my oldest brother, when I was in my 20s, and he was telling me how happy, how proud he was that I'd never was um, like insecure about trying something that no one knew about. My parents, I think, were insecure because they didn't know um, how the instrument worked and how expensive it was going to be, and if I was going to be any good, you know, they, they had, um, th maybe they had fears that they didn't verbalize that maybe I wouldn't be accepted, or, or that maybe I wouldn't be able to keep up, because, you know, everybody takes math, everybody takes English class, and so your parents can help you with those things. They can read to you, they can take you to the library, um, they, they can, there are all these things that they can do to help, but with music, they couldn't. Um, but as I went through, no one ever said I couldn't, and, um, I guess that kind of made me, um, I mean, I was already, I mean, it, it's already hard enough to be a teenager and to be trying to figure out what your future is going to be like. You don't need the extra pressure on. Um, so no one ever really put that pressure on me. Um, music school is really, really hard, like in incredibly hard. I understood the theory and I got through the piano and music, uh, history and all that stuff. But, um, I wasn't the best cellist. There are lots of things I still didn't understand about music because I started so late. Um, like cut, like counting and cut time, I would still have to count it in a really fast four, things like that. Um, but I got through it, and because I was consistent and I kept at it because, you know, it's kind of my obsession. It's my hobby. It's uh, I, for fun. You know, I play in a pipe band. I'm a bagpiper, too. Um, I, I Other people, you know, take up cycling or gardening, I take up other musical instruments, you know? Um, yeah, I, I I kept getting better at it. And I just always try to let kids know, this is a possibility for you. I'll help you, but you have to be willing to put in the work. And I just always say, I always tell them, listen to your teacher. If whatever I say the most, if I keep saying this over and over again, um, then you really do need to listen. You can't neglect your scales. You really do have to practice this. This I'm asking you to practice in front of a mirror. Look at look at your hand position. Um, though I'm telling you that because it needs attention. Some things don't need as much attention. Listen to these things. Um, it's a possibility, but you have to you have to keep working for it um, because that because that courtesy was extended to me. I try to extend it to my own students. Wonderful. How, how does uh some, sometimes um, there's always a fine line of like okay we want the students to get better we we have a deadline for the concert or a competition or whatever and we have to learn this music but you also want it to be fun and so how do you uh how do you sort of balance those two hmm. well i don't know how much you've seen this because i know you're teaching um folks at the beginning which is um bless you you're, I, I did it for a long time. It's very, very hard. I miss it, <laughs> but sometimes I don't miss it. Um, 
the ability level of students has changed. I, I, they're, um, and I, I can't really figure out why. It, it's, I, I know the older I get as a teacher, I feel like the, the no matter what, pandemic or not, that kids focus their, um, their desire to participate in an ensemble. It, it's not what it was when I started here 24 years ago. It, it, it's always changing. But um, since we got back to normal instruction in class, I still see a major um, just uh, ability levels aren't what they used to be. Engagement levels aren't what they used to be. Kids aren't practicing as much. Um, and the hard part for me was how do I keep them going and give them a reason to keep going? Um, and so I've, of course, simplified music. Um, I don't know if you felt you've had, you've had to do that in um, grades five and six, but I've simplified the oh, music. Definitely. All the other teachers that I've talked to, high school and middle school, you have to simplify music. And frankly, I know some people that didn't simplify their music, and it really and it really backfired on them. Absolutely. So I will say when we first came back from the pandemic, I had to really simplify to the point of just rewriting some pieces, rewriting some parts for my sixth graders. But I have the kids in fifth grade, which is basically their first year of band. And I will say that that first year back was like 2021 or 20, whatever it was. I don't even like thinking about it, and I don't. I don't even feel comfortable talking about it too. I'm with <laughs> no, you. I, <laughs> it was horrible, but anyways. So uh, by the end of the year, I was able to get to my kids to be where I've had other groups in the past get up to. Oh, um, so I'm not worried about that because it's again, I'm the little, I'm the little kids. I'm starting them, so it's it's not like they are not. They don't have the the basics. I will say, you know, maybe kids now come in, they don't really know the music staff as well as they used to. But I would also say a lot of that has to do with like sort of like the new techniques that people are using for general music. You know, it used to be, I don't know what general music was like for you when you were a kid. Like a lot of general music for me was like, let's learn the names on the music staff and let's write words on the music staff. And then they show you, you know, they hand out a piece of paper with these different notes circled on the music staff and to write down the letters. And it's like, I don't think a lot of general music teachers do that anymore simply because the, if, if you're going to learn the, the names of the notes on the music staff, you're going to be playing an instrument. Whereas... If I have, you know, all the Joe Schmo kids that aren't playing an instrument in general music class, I can just have them enjoy music. They can sing. They can play instruments without having to worry about reading music. And so that they have an appreciation and a love and a joy of playing and performing and talking about music. Um, so that is a little bit different for me that... That that because I feel like general general music, elementary general music, has changed a little bit. At least in at least in my opinion, um, generally that that's how it's changed. So I have to do a lot more of the teaching the the notes, names on the staff, and rhythms and stuff. I mean, my kids come in saying, you know, do 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 they do? They don't go one two three and four. That's fine. I'm totally fine with that. It's very easy because they're solid with it. 
you know, so sometimes I don't even have to talk about how you'd count that rhythm because they're so solid with it from doing the Gordon trading that they do in all four elementary schools in my town. It's it's wonderful. So it it is different. Um, so there are some skills that are a little bit different, but I, I, in terms of coming back to normal, um, I'm getting there. But I will say something else you did say was that the attention and the behavior um, is definitely different. Like I've definitely seen a huge decline in, um, mm. in, in that. And, you know, and I think once you email or call the parents, I think you quickly understand why. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and that's my big take on it. <laughs> Cause um, I tell you, man, I like the, just, Parents are a little different these days. They, uh, well, a lot of parents have trouble saying no to their kids. Yeah, well, I know I'm different. You know, um, it, having kids changed me. Um, teaching during COVID changed me. And I feel like I'm not back to normal either. So um, I, I, I try to understand. Um, something, my son is in fifth, going into fifth grade, and... He didn't start an instrument. Maybe he'll do one next year. He did, He just plays piano privately. Um, something I think that could have affected him when it came to reading music was that he didn't play recorder. So kids didn't play recorder in 2021 or in 2022, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So when he was in third grade, they didn't play recorder because that's the first time that kids are reading music on the staff and applying it to actually playing an instrument. Um, and so that was two years worth of kids that completely missed that. And I wonder, um, maybe the kids coming after him, I wonder if it's going to be easier for them if they got to do their recorder concerts, if that helped them, um, to play, but just some, the breakdown of these little things that feed our programs, um, hurt us. Um, the kids that are going into eighth grade right now, when they got to me in sixth grade, they had played most of their fourth grade year. But then after that, didn't have any more concerts. So I had to get them back to being in an ensemble and playing concerts. And the same thing with the current, the new seventh graders, too. They hadn't done concerts. And so I had to kind of train them. No, this is how ensemble rehearsal goes. And yes, you really do need to... This is where your section is. You can't just sit wherever you want. This is this is the way we set up our orchestra. And um, it, it's, it's like I'm teaching beginners, but they... They're beginners with with a, with with knowledge of how to play the instrument. They're still learning how to read better, and more than anything, they're learning to play in um, in a in a more stable ensemble. By the time the students get to me in sixth grade, they have a very set schedule. They see me more frequently. They no longer have general music, so um, things start to get a little bit more. Um, What's the word? I won't say intense, but um, it's more formalized, and it's they're more locked into a schedule once they get to me. So uh, it, it's it's been hard locking them in, but I, I I feel like I feel like it's getting better. I feel like it's getting better. Good, mm-hmm. good. I'm glad I'm glad to hear it. Um, so let me uh, hear what a couple of your most memorable musical moments are. Oh. I talk about this one a lot. Um, so cello is my primary instrument, but I frequently, mostly play violin when I'm in class. So um, I wanted to 
to have a fiddle ensemble. I wanted to have an ensemble that was comparable to our jazz band ensembles and our select choir ensemble. So I started fiddling um, and personally and then started a fiddle group and that was something um, that was able to run during the school day for um, maybe a decade. It, it, it lasted that way for a while. Now it's after school and it still um, is, you know, very valuable, but it, it's, it's different because you have to stay after school to do it. So I don't have, um, it, it's not the same material. It's not the same um, instrumentation. Anyway, um, in 2008, I had a fiddle ensemble. I had a, a fiddle uh, teacher. Her name's Donna Abair. She, I know she is a Western Mass lady, so I don't know if you know her. She's like a, mass, a major, fabulous Massachusetts fiddler. She brought her band named um, Groove Mama, to come and play a concert with my middle schoolers, my high school students. So I prepared everybody, not just my fiddle players. Uh, middle school, high school, and um, we invited Harwich before it was Monomoy. We invited Rose Richards High School um, string players over. I sent over the music that um, Donna A. Bear had sent to me. And um, we had this fabulous concert. And um, we had like banjo player, a bass player, like three fiddle players, people were stomping feet, and um, I I had already uh, experienced a lot of fiddle things before, mostly like Celtic, you know, Scottish and Irish, um, things like that, and Groove Mama did a, a little bit of everything, um, but this exceeded my expectations, and one of the reasons it sticks in my mind is that our superintendent, who just retired, um, brought one of the school committee members with her to the concert, and that school committee member, and I, I never saw the, um, I didn't see the meeting where she expressed her uh, her her ideas, but I, I've had it relayed to me that that school committee member hadn't wanted to avoid the concert because people have these negative ideas about strings, um, that they might squeak, you know, maybe, you know, maybe they do sometimes, and uh, the superintendent brought her to the concert, and the, the concert started with the professionals, which I thought was strange that they would do that. But the kids were the big finale, so the, the professionals played for 20 or 30 minutes. And then the kids all joined, and we played um, maybe six or seven tunes together. And it was the most memorable evening of my career. And, and I spent so much time preparing for um, getting the music to everybody and teaching all the music and making sure everybody had food and that we were all dressed properly. I, I spent so much time arranging all of it. But then I actually got to be part of the performance. I actually got to go up on the stage with the kids and play, and um, that was that was exciting. That was um, definitely a, that was a major highlight. I really enjoyed that. So that was 2008. I know it was a long time ago, but um, I was very proud that I I did something like that. Nowadays, if I tried to plan something like that, I'd probably give up before I even started. Um, but it, it was awesome. It was awesome. Um, other things. Um, that's probably the biggest thing because it, I, it was for everybody. It was for cello players and bass players and violas and violins. What were we going to say, Tom? Well, I was just going to say, like, one, I bet you there was something very memorable of the fact that you were playing along with them mm -hmm. that probably made that even more heightened for you. Because, you know, I've been involved, you know, with conducting some really excellent concerts and be like oh my gosh that was such a good performance i'm so proud of my kids you know and all the work we put into it but i'll tell you like one of my favorite memories from when i taught at the high school was we did oklahoma 
you know, the, the musical. And so um, the Oklahoma, the musical, there's obviously a bunch of students that I know performing on stage. But one of the things that was great about it was that we had the pit was mostly kids. Mm-hmm. I played first trumpet, but I had a high school kid playing second trumpet. And then I had this girl in front of me that was playing the flute part, another kid playing the clarinet part and right in front of me. I think a trombone kid on the other side of me. And um, there was only, I don't know, there was only a couple professionals in the entire pit. I enjoyed that so much just to see how the ki- you know the kids playing in the pit, but also the students of mine and the kids that I knew on stage. And I enjoyed that run of Oklahoma as much or more maybe than any pit orchestra I've ever played in. And, you know, it's Oklahoma. It was like, you know, it's not like the crazy, amazing uh, trumpet part or anything. It was just, you know, it's the people you're with and all the things that went into it. And Fred Johnson was directing the Mm -hmm. chorus and another guy was doing the acting on stage. You know, it was just I loved it so much, and uh, so I, I can totally understand how that would be one of your uh, favorites. Sure. Any more? Uh, well, now that you're talking about musicals, um, at the middle school... Ma- Mary Poppins with me, I understand. Oh, oh absolutely. I, 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 that, was, yeah, yeah. that was coming up. <laughs> <laughs> but at, at the middle school, um, before we moved to our new building, we would put, and before COVID, we would put on some pretty fabulous shows at the middle school, and uh, I... I would play whatever part wasn't covered by a student, but we would have high school students come back and play in the middle school pit because the music would be arranged um, by our middle school band director. He'd take the piano score and flush it out into or- an orchestral score. It included steel drums one year when we did Little Mermaid. It was just really awesome. So those memories, those are the kinds of things that I'll, I'll drop everything to do those things, to have so much richness in my actual job. I mean, I have fun, obviously, in my, in my, in my private gigging life um, and, and just in my personal music, fine. But to be able to have that much fun in my, where I work, um, it, it's, it's extraordinary. So um, th- I think that's the success of, of DY Music is that we, we have all these opportunities to collaborate with each other. So whenever we get a chance to play in a pit orchestra together or to do a finale, um, Scott Graff, uh, he's our middle school band director still, and um, he arranged a finale for us uh, for seventh grade. It was one of the hardest things he's ever arranged. I had to rearrange it to simplify it because it was complicated. But we did a, a medley with a Backstreet Boys song and um, a Katy Perry song, and then we rickrolled everybody Um that, that was just this past spring, and it was so much fun to do that. Um, so all the work is worth it, and that's uh, that, That's why I do what I do. So I, I thank him all the time. I think he thinks I'm, j- I'm just trying to get him to do all the hard work of arranging. But no, he, I really mean it. He's a very talented arranger, and uh, it's, it's a, a, a load of fun, and I hope... The music's not as hard next year, but I hope we keep that traditional tr- that tradition going. We've only been doing that maybe the last seven or eight years, but I hope we keep the tradition up. Well, that's great. Um, last question. Yes. Um, I've been asking everybody this. What are you listening to when you're in the radio, when you're in the car, on the radio, or if you're hanging out and listening? What do you, what do you listen to? I am really 
uh, strange. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mentioned. I like it, but... that. I like that. <laughs> yeah. So well, I, I'm a bagpiper. I'm a competitive bagpiper. So um, I, I uh, compete playing solos and things like that. So I have a. Um, I, I listen to a pipe band podcast um, from Northern Ireland a lot. That's what I do when I'm cooking. And in the car, I have like Celtic mixes that I listen to. So um, whenever I have time to myself, that's what I will listen to. Um, otherwise, I'm kind of stuck in the 2000s and early earlier. I love 80s music. When I'm around my kids, they can tolerate that. Um, but for me, it's usually um, that Celtic pipe band thing happening in it when I'm on my own. What are you listening oh, wow. to? Okay. Yeah, well, I, I'm really, I'm all over the place. I am literally all over the place. There's some days where it's like I don't. I'm so saturated with music that all I want to do is listening, listen to talk radio or podcasts. But then there's other times where it's like, okay, I'm, you know, I conduct two adult ensembles, and I can obviously have a fifth grade band and a sixth grade band and the jazz ensemble at my school. So it's like I'm listening to literature, and especially for my adult groups where it's a little more intense i'm really listening to it because i want to know all the little parts in it like every time i try to hear something different you know but then sometimes you know obviously that gets old and then i will listen to i always come back to stone Temple pilots uh i'm a i'm a really big like uh late 90s early 2000s rock type of guy but then at the same time i like to listen to some more singer-songwriter type guys like Martin Sexton, who's probably the most underrated singer ever in the history of singers. He's just ridiculously good. And another guy, another guy that's local, sort of, he's from, I think he lives in Norwood, but I could be wrong, but um, a guy by the name of Chris Trapper, just a phenomenal songwriter. Um, you know, it's just like guitar and a singer type of guy, you know, so I'm... Um, absolutely all over the place because i listen to classical music and um i used to like it you know you, i want do you ever do you like sort of forced into listening what your kids like at all like when you're in the car with them um they're pretty open-minded my daughter has they they have playlists um and because we all share like an amazon account and then my husband and i also have apple accounts um we i can see what their playlists are but they don't always want to listen to them in front of me I, I don't know why they just they just want to be private about it. Um, so they they can stand most of what I listen to, and I I feel like um, if they weren't around so much, I'd listen to a little bit more of what I listened to before um, before they came along. So I as you're talking about specific groups, like I listened to a lot of classic rock in high school, um, and that continued through college. And um, just like the 80s and 90s bands of my time, you know, um, I'm a little older than you, so just the, the music of that time, um, they don't they don't mind it, but I try not to overwhelm them with it. So there's a band that people tease me about all the time because I love them so much. They're 70s. I love Steely Dan, like, so love Steely Dan. Mm. I, like, just, oh my gosh. Like, and I've seen them twice in concert. Uh, I know the, the guitarist passed away a few years ago, but oh my gosh, I love Steely Dan. So that's so intense for my kids that I won't, ma I won't make them listen to that. But sometimes if I've got a long drive somewhere, I'll, I'll just put it on and it, it's like my, it's my world's, you know, to listen to something like that. <laughs> um, 
but I just don't I just don't feel like I have those moments very often. But I, I'll go onto Apple Music and just choose a playlist for like '80s music, or I really like the band U2, so I'll listen to like a oh, U2 yeah. mix or, or an album. Um, that's rubbed off of my son. He loves U2 as well, so he has a lot of U2 on his uh, on his mm. mixes on his uh, playlists. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, like some some of my music is definitely rubbed off on my son a little bit. Not my daughter. Yes, you know, same thing. But, my daughter does not. She does not. But I will say the funny thing is is when my daughter was younger, I used to love listening to her music because it was like Miley Cyrus slash Hannah Montana slash Katy Perry and Taylor Swift. And, oh, my God, I, I loved that pop music. I was like, this is great stuff. You know, I I just I used to love that because I'm weird I, and I don't I, I'll listen to anything if it's if it's catchy and, you know, there's especially if there's like an interesting chord structure or something there or. I don't know. I can I can listen to anything. So I'm weird. But weird. hey, uh, thank thank you so much for doing this, Carrie. I really appreciate it. I know you're like I don't know if I want to do it. <laughs> you know, podcast is scary, and you're like the perfect podcast voice and storyteller. You're gifted. I think you're gifted in that way. I'm serious. All right. Well, thank you, Tom. I I I enjoyed it. I get to talk about myself. My kids don't want to talk to me, so. Uh, I'll take what I can get. I can talk about me. Thanks for listening to the Everything Music Ed podcast. Be sure to check out future episodes as we talk to other educators from different teaching environments and cover areas of instruction such as concert band, jazz band, marching band, chorus, orchestra, general music, music tech, special needs, and much more. The theme music for the Everything Music Ed podcast is Jig, composed and arranged by Wally Minko. Jig is performed by Wayne Bergeron and can be found on his album, Full Circle. The Everything Music Ed podcast logo was created by Sarah Goulart. <laughs>